When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the topics you're talking about in football. I'm Ian McGarry and with me as always is our transfer guru Duncan Castles. The window is halfway almost to being closed but still halfway open. So it depends on that class as you're looking at it from your club's point of view. Spurs fans are certainly hoping to uh, have some movement. And Duncan, you got some news regarding a striker because, of course, the hurricane conundrum seems to go on and on. And you've got a new name for us in terms of who might be replacing Kane up front. Yes, I mean, it's very clear that Jose Mourinho is desperate to get a centre-forward in who can um, do something approximating to what Harry Kane does for the first team. Um, He's had to build a different way of attack um, for the the last couple of matches with Kane out. Um, For what might be an injury that puts him out for the rest of the season, remember, it's a hamstring surgery, which he's had, and uh, no definite guarantee that he will be back and certainly back at at, um, full performance level before the end of the domestic season. Um, We told you that they had tried um, to take Christoph Piantek from Milan, but that Milan uh, were not happy with Tottenham's proposal, which was for a loan with an option to buy. Milan only want to let Piantek go if they can get a full transfer fee and get the money uh, they paid Genoa a year ago back and perhaps a little premium on top. Otherwise, they intend to keep him as the backup to uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, the new signing, and Rafael Leon. Um, Mourinho, as he has done in the past, has turned to the Portuguese market for an alternative to Piantec. And there are um, ongoing discussions with FC Porto about taking their 28-year-old centre-forward, Zé Luis. Um, Now, Zé Luis is not a starter for FC Porto, um, but he does have a good scoring record since uh, arriving there in the summer. He has been in the starting 11 just 50% of the time for their uh, Portuguese league games and played 54% of minutes, but he's been involved in 20% of the team's goals in the Portuguese league and he's, he's returned seven goals in 12 starts. He, the reasons he, he doesn't start regularly are the way Porto play. Um, talking to people in Portugal known well, they, talk, they consider Zé Luís to be a very good fit to English football to start with because of his... Um, his physicality, um, qualities in the air, ability to play as a target man on which you build attacks off. So he's also good at, at creating chances for players playing off him, um, which Tottenham have in Surfit. And they feel that he would actually fit tactically pretty well with the way Mourinho wants to play. Um, 
Porto are prepared to do the deal on the basis of a loan fee with an option to buy, so there's no problem there. The issue is that uh, Zé Luis, although he sounds Portuguese and has um, spent a fair amount of time in Portugal, is actually from uh, Cape Verde, uh, doesn't have a European Union passport and will not qualify for a work permit on the basis of his international uh, performances because they are for the Cape Verde national team and they're not high enough ranked in FIFA uh, rankings for him to get an automatic work permit. So um, Tottenham will have to come up with a solution there if they're to get permission from the Football Association to make this transfer happen. Usually that involves an appeal process and it quite often involves um, paying a higher salary in order to meet requirements to establish that the, the player is a significant enough talent to come to the division. Um, there are doubts uh, amongst the people working in the deal whether that will happen or not. Um, I, I think we'll find out in the next few days if it does or, or whether Tottenham are going to have to move to another alternative solution in this position because Daniel Levy seems to be holding to his stance that he does not want to pay a straight transfer fee for um, anyone coming in in this position in the January window. Uh, we told you earlier in the week about Jetson Fernandez um, that uh, that deal was in place for uh, a loan, 18-month loan um, from Benfica with uh, an option to buy at the end of the transfer. Tottenham have formally announced that uh, move today. Um, the loan fee, I can tell you, is €4.5 million. Euros, and as we said in the podcast, the option to buy will be €50 million. Euros. Um, Jetson, interestingly, his parents actually live in London already and have been living in London for uh, some time. Um, and Jetson actually attended a Tottenham match uh, before Christmas, I think the Chelsea game, with his father. Um, he has not played much football this season. Uh, he injured himself while on holiday in the summer, uh, broke a metatarsal, I'm told, uh, playing football on the beach. Um, and for tactical reasons, has not been a part of uh, Bruno Laghi's team at Benfica. Laghi changed the formation. Um, uh, to better use Jean-Felix when he took over last season and Jetson moved from being a, a starter in a, a attacking number eight role to being a bench player. Um, interesting to see how he does because he hasn't played much football. He's a very good dribbler on the ball. He is um, he's quite tall, he's fast, but um, perhaps not the most tactically um, precise of midfielders, so I'm, I'm intrigued to see how much playing time he gets and how Mourinho fits him into the system. Now he's at least got one extra body in for the rest of the season. Interesting uh, as well, Duncan, that most people aged 21 move away from their parents, not back towards them. Uh, so Jetson bucking that trend as well, it seems, if, uh, if he's going to move in with his mum and dad. <laughs> Well, she'll see. Um, <clears throat> of course, Wednesday's podcast is your questions answered. And thank you very much for all the questions you've sent in. We're going to do uh, our best to answer some of the ones on the most topical themes. First up, Duncan, is Dylan Taylor, who has asked, are United secretly talking to Pochettino to take over at the end of the season? Um, obviously, uh, an issue we've addressed many times. Uh, in the light of a continually poor results for Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. 
do we think that United are any closer to changing coach Duncan? Look, there is very significant pressure on Manchester United to change manager. There's a big chunk of the supporter base, by no means all of them, but there's a big chunk of the supporter base who feels that Solskjaer was the wrong appointment and feel that um, with two coaches of the stature of Maurizio Pochettino and Max Allegri being on the market, i.e. out of a job, although Pochettino's situation is more complicated because he's still under um, contract at uh, Tottenham. He hasn't actually been dismissed, so you, there is the possibility of having to pay compensation to Tottenham were they to hire him. But supporters feel that Manchester United should be taking the opportunity to hire a man that they have um, admired for a long time. I think Ed Woodward in particular has admired for a long time. There were talks with Pochettino before Jose Mourinho was appointed. Pochettino is definitely interested in that job, has been interested for a long time. At that time in which Mourinho got the job, he was sceptical about whether it was the right time in his career to move there. So he didn't push hard um, to be made Manchester United manager at that time. He felt... Uh, the job might be too demanding in terms of the transfer market um, requirements of, of changing the team in terms of the, the quality of the scouting staff there and in terms of the exposure um, that's involved with being Manchester United manager. I'm not hearing from his camp uh, that he has the same reservations now. I'm very much hearing that that is one of the jobs he is interested in taking. Um, he was mentioned as a candidate to take over at Barcelona this week after Barcelona uh, put themselves in a position effectively where they had to sack Ernesto Valverde. Lots of people very sceptical about whether he could take that job, having been on record on numerous occasions as a former Espanyol coach, saying that he can never coach Barcelona. But I'm told there were some conversations there, um, which is probably an indication of where Barcelona are as a club uh, more than uh, anything else. In terms of Solskjaer, I think you can see his nervousness um, in the way he is talking um, in press conferences, uh, pre-match, post-match these days. He, When he took that job, he was very accomplished in press conferences. He was very good at saying the right things, um, came across well. You see him increasingly tetchy uh, in his responses to particular questions. You see him making um, what are clear uh, public relations mistakes in terms of the things he is saying. Um, when they uh, played Norwich and beat Norwich at the weekend, Solskjaer uh, came out and, uh, and started talking about uh, Manchester City and their um, comprehensive 3-1 defeat in the first leg at home to Manchester City in the League Cup. And Solskjaer's line was, you know when you play Manchester City in the Carabao Cup and they put their strongest team out, you know that they've come places because that means that they respect us. Um, talking about his squad. So his argument was because Manchester City put up a strong team, it shows they respect Manchester United as they are going forward. And that's a good sign. And that um, went down like a lead balloon with the majority of the Manchester United supporters for obvious reasons. I think the Norwich game was also interesting in that um, there was a significant amount of people it, amongst the home support chanting um, against the Glazers and chanting against Ed Woodward. Solskjaer was asked about that post-match and responded um, by saying that he was aware of the chance um, and 
saying, uh, I'm not sure if the players will get it, but I noticed as a club, we've got to stick together. We've got to be united. We are a family. I can only say from when I've been here and I've been backed by the owners, I've been backed by Ed and they're supporting me. So for me, make sure they stick together. Um, which again has not gone down well with supporters who feel that the, the core of Manchester United problems are the ownership of the club and the, um, the directorship of the club. And, uh, and although Solskjaer obviously is in a difficult position and it's hard, very hard for him to criticise um, the people who employ him, um, instructing and saying to the fans that they should stick together and they should be a family and effectively telling them he thinks they should support the owners and support Woodward um, is a, it's, at best, it's not a deft uh, public relations move. And, and you know, fundamentally, you've got to look at what the results have been since Solskjaer took over, um, since he's had a summer in which a huge amount was spent on the defence. You now have a very expensive starting defence, over £200 million in, in transfer fees, plus the, the best paid player in the Premier League in goal as a result of decisions that have been taken um, while he has been manager and with, with Ed Woodward signing off on them. Um, having his pre-season that he said would change so much about the way the team played. And uh, I was just calculating the other day that they have, although fifth in the league, they have um, 34 points from 22 games so far this season. If you calculate what that, if they continue that points return for the rest of the season for the full 38 games, they're on course to get 59 points um, for the season which would be the lowest points return of any Manchester United side in the Premier League era. And I, I think that gives you uh, the sort of the best indication you have in terms of results about what they're actually producing on the field, what he is producing on the field with what he says has been very good backing from the Glazers and, uh, and good backing from Ed Woodward. We uh, thank uh, our um, podcast friend Brett Ramirez for um, also bringing that part of the subject up in terms of Solskjaer and the Glazers. Um, Duncan, there is a very unscientific, uh, I grant you, um, equation in football management about um, speaking regarding different uh, aspects of the club when uh, your job is either going well or indeed when it's deteriorating in terms of you're heading towards the exit door. It starts by praising the players, regardless of performances, making sure the dressing room's on your side. We saw Solskjaer do that right at the beginning, uh, protecting his players, etc., etc. Then, of course, when results started going badly, he criticises players. Then the second degree of separation is praising the fans and making sure the fans stay on your side. So regardless of performances on the pitch, as long as the fans aren't booing the team and aren't booing you, then you hopefully stay in a job. And, of course, lastly, the third degree of separation it's praising the people who are your employers because if you do that, you're hoping the last of the dice will mean that you will keep your job just a little bit longer in order that results might improve. And uh, it's significant, I think, that I think Solskjaer's already at the third degree of separation and praising people who definitely um, are not the favourites of a large section of the Manchester United support. As for Pochettino, I think it's worth pointing out that a manager of his reputation and stature and what Dylan Taylor originally asked at our United secretly talking. I doubt it's very secret, Dylan. Um, I have heard that Pochettino's representatives 
um, have been contacted regularly by several different clubs to in order to make sure that Pochettino uh, remains uh, convinced and connected that he is both wanted and uh, when he's ready to return to management, that uh, he'll have, I think, a whole array of options, not just Manchester United, the Manchester United, I think, will be very much close to the top of that particular order of his um, choices. So, thank you for that, Dylan Taylor, on Pochettino and Manchester United. We want to now go to Jeremy Wilson, who has sent us an interesting question, Duncan, regarding um, events at Barcelona uh, this week, when, of course, Ernesto Valverde was sacked um, summarily. Um, not exactly a shock, but um, and then the appointment... Uh, forthwith of Kike Setien, the former Real Betis manager. And um, Jeremy has asked, did Barcelona rightly sack Valverde and appoint Kike Setien? Setien has not got a brilliant managerial career like Max Allegri or even Pochettino. I think Xavi rejected the offer of becoming Barca's manager in the mid-season. So was Kike Setien finally selected on that basis? What was your uh, your information, your briefing on that, Duncan? Uh it's uh, the, br- the briefing I've had uh, from a couple of people um, at Barcelona is that essentially the directorship of the club made a mess of the situation. Um, they've had doubts about Valverde for a long time. They they considered um, dispensing with him in the summer. Why? Um, because of the two back-to-back um, heavy turnarounds they suffered in the Champions League in the quarterfinals against Roma, 4-1 up from the first leg, and then in the semi-finals last season against Liverpool, 3-0 up from the first leg and going out on both occasions. They weren't able to get the right man in the summer and didn't make a change. Um, their feeling was that uh, the situation had deteriorated, that Valverde had effectively ceded control of the dressing room to the senior players in the dressing room, in particular to Lionel Messi. Um, They were particularly angered that after the Copa del Rey exit in Saudi Arabia in the semi-final to Atletico, um, that Valverde gave the players three days off and they felt it it was unnecessary to give them three days off. the wrong time of the season. They hadn't had a lot of demand on them uh, recently in terms of playing, and it was just another index of of how um, the coach had lost control of um, players who the supporters and the board expected to perform better. While they were in Saudi Arabia, they went to Qatar and met uh, Xavi. So this was um, Oscar Grau, the chief executive, and Eric Abidal, the sports director. And uh, the briefing from um, people who are close to Xavi is that Xavi was actively involved in negotiations over the job. Uh, on the instruction of Barcelona president um, Bartomeu, he was um, offered uh, or asked whether he would be ready to take the Barcelona job now. Um, Xavi rejected that proposal. Um, guidance I have is he rejected it because he felt uh, it would be too dangerous for him to take over at this stage, to come in mid-season without a pre-season to uh, implement his ideas as a coach. And he wants, uh, when he takes over as Barcelona coach, which is his ambition and which he expects to be able to do down the line, he wants to have effectively total control over the transfer market. 
He, looking at the squad at present, he feels that a lot of players have to be cleared out and he wants to control the players coming in so he can play the kind of football that the Barcelona ex supporters expect him to bring. Why did Bartomeu go for him? Because I'm told he would be a good umbrella for Bartomeu who faces presidential elections next year in that the supporters would welcome that appointment of a former playing hero. Um, I think in the background here is that there are one of the potential candidates um, for president uh, at Barcelona, someone called Victor Font, who is on record as saying that if he is elected as president, he will get Xavi as coach and appoint him as coach. So if you're Xavi, you um, are thinking, I can go and help out Bartomeu now, who I'm told he doesn't have a particularly good relationship with. Um, Mid-season, without guarantees over transfer market, or I can wait and see if Font is elected president on a promise to appoint me and have the, the keys to the kingdom, if you like. Um, the problem, of course, is when this meeting with Xavi became uh, public, um, Barcelona were effectively boxed in with Valverde uh, and, uh, and the sense was that they then had to dismiss Valverde. They, went, they then had a long meeting on Monday in which they uh, proposed various candidates, tried to come up with a candidate to replace Valverde immediately. Um, uh, Ronald Koeman was one of the options that was discussed, but I'm told Koeman also was reluctant to take it. And then they eventually ended up appointing Setien, who was out of work having left Betis by mutual consent in the summer. And um, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how, how he does as the coach of, of, because I've talked to a couple of people to get their assessment of whether he is a good appointment or not. Um, one of them said, yes, um, he will win over the dressing room because he is uh, a, a devotee of Cruyff-style football. Um, it's like a, a, a supercharged Pep Guardiola in the sense that he, he um, talks about how you have to play attacking football and you have to control the ball and he hates teams that um, to play long balls or sit back and, and, and work with a, a low block. So he, he's, um, he will allow the players um, to play with the ball and they will enjoy the training sessions um, and he fits the, the, the Barcelona fans' um, desire to go back to a team that uh, is more like uh, playing the kind of football that Pep Guardiola made them so successful with and which uh, Valverde's moved away from. But the same person said, I think he will have problems because the squad now is not capable of playing that way. There are too many older figures who are not capable of doing the running required um, to uh, to implement that game plan against the best teams and uh, and too many players have been signed to for a different model of football so uh, they think uh, it'll be problematic that way another person I trust in Spanish football uh, their view of it was that Setien's appointment was almost as bad from a, a perspective of of meritocratic appointments, i.e. deserving the, the position as Manchester United's decision to appoint Uli Gunnar Solskjaer um, pointed out that he's 61, the best uh, he has achieved in um, professional football as a coach is taking Betis to sixth place, um, that really uh, his um, 
advocacy of attacking football and his kind of obsessive um, nature and of, of criticising opponents who don't play the right way, and where we heard that before, uh, is going to be problematic for him. But um, uh, you know, as as a neutral in this, I'm intrigued to see how it turns out because what is for for sure is you've got a, a coach who who is devoted to attacking football, um, being presented with one of the two best players in the world um, to work with, and and still a very good uh, group of players around him, and um, it's going to be fascinating for those people who are supporters of of uh, that philosophy of. Um, controlling the ball and always going on the attack to see how a coach devoted to it does um, and whether he succeeds uh, and can win the Champions League um, being appointed. Well, that's not um, a shock, Duncan, to see the Spanish media um, revive a quote from Setien from, I think, just a year ago where he um, declared his undying love and admiration for Leo Messi, which, of course, is probably number one uh, factor on most Barcelona managers' CV. Um, otherwise, as well not appoint them in the first place. Um, so the idea that the uh, senior players had taken control of the dressing room and that's what le- led to Valverde's exit um, seems just a little bit um, flimsy with regards to what Citian may now do as well. Um and even though the protestations from the club and others around the club that this is not a caretaker appointment because he's been given a two and a half year contract, I suspect um, that this will be a caretaker role. And I'm also told that there is a break clause in the contract for this summer based on performance of, of the team, um, whereby if uh, Sintien does not achieve certain uh, goals, uh, and one of them being to win the league, and remember they're currently top on goal difference, then Barcelona can sack him uh, with just 50% uh, compensation for the final two years of his contract. Um, So clearly they're preparing themselves for ripping it up and starting again in the summer. As for um, Duncan, the future of Barcelona, they're a club who in some ways seem to have um, a sensible structure, obviously with socios, um, being effectively the shareholders of the club and there being democratic elections for the chief administrators, et cetera, et cetera. And yet they somehow, in, so, in a cycle, seem to get themselves into messes like this. Look, the, the people I, I trust when when talking about Barcelona and who provide uh, very good information on Barcelona with me, uh, uh, to me, um, they are been very clear for a long time that it's a dysfunctional club and they kind of despair of the way the uh, the board operates and how decisions are made. And um, and I think it's, it, it's quite sad in some ways because you have a club that is now the wealthiest in football um, in terms of the, the latest uh, Deloitte Money League. They moved to the top of that for the first time, relegating Real Madrid into second place and Manchester United into third place with the expectation that Manchester United might drop further next year. Um, they have, a, as you say, a democratic structure. They're not owned um, by a nation state, even though um, you can be sure that Saudi Arabia... Um, Qatar, Abu Dhabi would love to have bought a club of uh, Barcelona's dimension. Um, they are not owned by um, billionaire oligarch from Russia. They are, as you say, uh, uh, owned by the fans. 
Um, however, there, I guess there is a there's a, a negative side to that ownership in that you have um, elections on a on a secular basis, and the president obviously um, feels he has to play to the crowd to be re-elected. So the these uh, if the president is not strong enough and uh, doesn't have a, a coherent enough strategic plan to make uh, the team uh, outperform its opponents. And in Barcelona's case, that means winning both the Spanish League and winning the Champions League on a regular basis. Then they get forced into snap decisions to court popularity. Um, and we've seen that with the, the, the enforced sale of Neymar and then Barcelona running straight into the market by Usman Dembele and uh, Philippe Coutinho um, for huge transfer fees, two of the highest um, transfer fees of all time, um, both failures, uh, both ill-considered failures that are still causing them problems now. We've seen them held to ransom by Lionel Messi over um, a, the, the contract he has now, which is the... Uh, the richest contract in football, and, and you can argue Lionel Messi deserves to have the richest contract in football, but um, and he used standard tools to achieve that, which is to talk to affluent suitors like Manchester City, who um, you have um, uh, senior directors at Manchester City from Abu Dhabi saying that the thing they regretted most in their running of the club is their failure to bring Messi to uh, Manchester and make him the centre point of that team. So he, he's done all the things that um, you see other footballers do in that situation, but has it been a net positive for Barcelona to pay so much money to Messi and give him effectively so much control over their decision-making? Um, I, I think that there's a strong case to argue that it's not. So while you would like to see this, the the, the I'd certainly like to see fan ownership of clubs. Um, it's not a simple process in that you don't always get the best outcome through fan ownership of, of clubs because ultimately it's still a money game. Uh, you still have people um, wanting to be in positions of power quite often uh, for the status that it incurs upon them. And uh, unless those people take rational decisions, you're not guaranteeing... Um, effective and, and productive uh, uh, governance of the club by having that structure in place. Well, as you can imagine, uh, people, we've had lots and lots of questions and requests for updates uh, on ongoing transfers. And of course, we like to bring you the news before anyone else does. Last week, we did so with um, the um, information that Chelsea had agreed to meet the personal uh, demands in terms of contract of Lyon and France striker Moussa Dembele. Uh, that is a situation which is ongoing. And Duncan, you have some information regarding what's holding that particular one up, given that we believe there is a tacit agreement between Chelsea and the players' representatives. Yeah, look, the financial terms have been squared away. Chelsea know what Dembele would want to become at their player. Um, and this is you know, very standard practice in the transfer market. You you find out what a player wants and then you try and put the deal in place club to club. Uh, we told you um, when we reported 
that on the transfer podcast that the expectation was that Lyon president uh, Jean-Michel Aulas would ask for over 100 million euros um, as a transfer fee, as an initial asking price for Dembele. Why? Because he um, that was his initial asking price for Tange and Dembele when he sold him to Tottenham in the summer. My understanding is that, that Olas has done exactly that. He is and has effectively priced um, Dembele out of the market in this window because it does not look like Chelsea are prepared to spend that amount of money on a centre forward. Um, their priorities, I'm told, are elsewhere, particularly on the wing, um, where they envisage um, losing Willian um, at the latest in the summer because um, they have offered Willian a new contract, but only a one-year contract because of his age. And Willian, quite uh, understandably, is arguing that I am better than a one-year contract. Um, I'm a top performer in the Premier League. There are plenty of other clubs who would like to give me um, uh, a longer-term deal, uh, so I'm not going to sign that. So Chelsea are preparing um, for his exit, and um, I'm told focusing on wingers at present. One of those uh, strong options for them is Jadon Sancho, uh, understanding is that the club, uh, i.e. Uh, Roman Abramovich, Marina Granovskaya, are very keen on taking Sancho. They're keen on making a statement signing now that they are able to work in the transfer market again and have a lot of resource to spend in this window. And they see taking um, a young England international who has um, very high status in England because of what he's achieved at Borussia Dortmund and in the national team as a good way to go forward. Um, whether that is the best way for Chelsea to go forward, um, I think there are internal doubts uh, about that and that maybe um, the money which would be involved in taking Sancho with Borussia Dortmund asking over €100 million Euros for him and the player also wanting uh, very substantial financial terms could be invested better in uh, a different kind of winger and money used elsewhere um, in this window where there, um, as we said on uh, the last podcast, has been an inquiry about Lewis Dunk at Brighton. So the uh, perspective that they could improve at centre-back and also um, thinking about doing something at left-back. And um, obviously that centre-forward position is one that um, even if they don't do something in January, will requ require consideration in the summer with um, Olivier Giroud wanting to move to Inter um, and uh, wanting to go somewhere where he gets playing time and you know, still serious doubts about whether Michi, Michi Batshuayi is the, um, the right answer as a backup to Tammy Abraham um, in the attack from Frank Lampard and his coaching staff. And we want to say thank you to Chidi, uh, who, amongst others, was asking for the update on Chelsea News. And Duncan, a little kind of post... Uh, note, if you like, to the Dembele situation. Um, I believe you were speaking to someone close to the player who was, um, let's just say, rather sceptical about suggestions in certain media outlets that he might join a different uh, Premier League club and not Chelsea. Yes, I forgot to mention that because it was... Uh, um... So ridiculous. Uh, You'll probably have seen some reports that both Newcastle United and West Ham United have been scouting Dembele and uh, that Steve Bruce in particular would be would like to uh, bring Dembele to Newcastle in this window. Um, 
the response of uh, people close to Dembele was um, that is absolutely ridiculous. Why would Musa want to take a step down from Lyon, uh, where he is a very important part of the team and uh, being um, targeted by clubs like Chelsea and Manchester United and um, with the expectation that he'll move to a club of that level, if not now, uh, in the not-too-distant future, why would he want to go to a club like West Ham United or Newcastle United? And with all us asking so much money for the player, um, how could either of those clubs afford to take him anyway? I suppose the obvious answer to that, Duncan, is that uh, Musa, being a massive fan of Andy Carroll, simply wanted to step into the great man's career path and take those uh, first steps in English football uh, outside of, of course, his apprenticeship at Fulham um, to the North East and indeed to East London. And as you know, I'm just joking about that. Anyway, uh, more on updates. Uh, Duncan, um, he, it's been reported, we can't confirm this, but a rare sighting outside of the um, gilded walls of Old Trafford of the lesser spotted Ed Woodward, apparently on a Eurostar train heading, of course, to France. And um, my own suspicion, knowing the man, is that he was just heading over to Cali to stock up on his wine. Um, but suggestions that he may well have been going somewhere else, perhaps Lille, to talk about Bubakari Samari, who we mentioned on Monday's podcast. But give us an update first on the continuing saga of Bruno Fernandes, please. Um, yes, the, the latest information I have is that um, Sporting... While trying to get to a final settlement with Manchester United on the um, precise details of the transfer. So we told you um, earlier this week that the valuation that um, Sporting are placing on the player is 75 million euros. And they want to be able to present a deal to their fans where they've got 75 million euros worth of combined cash and player coming in. So they've been looking at players they can bring. Told you Marcus Rojo was prominent in that. Rojo is not keen to go there. Um, has an offer in Turkey for a substantial amount of money, which um, uh, six million euros a year, which Sporting can no in no way match. Um, there's been uh, an attempt to get Angel Gomez. Um, I'm told Angel Gomez has rejected that approach. Also told from the Sporting end that there's interest in Andreas Pereira, um, and again that. Andres Pereira doesn't want to go to Sporting. Um, so no final settlement there. Um, also hearing that from uh, the Manchester United end, that there is not a final agreement with Sporting. But what I keep hearing back from the Portuguese end is that they expect this deal to be done. Um, they see Bruno Fernandes playing against Benfica on Friday, that being his final game, and then the transfer going through subsequent to that match. Um, I'm told Bruno Fernandes and his agent are happy for him to play in that game. Obviously, it's one of huge importance to Sporting. They're at home to Benfica. They don't want to lose to their city rivals. Um, there's been question marks about why Sporting would take the risk of, of Bruno getting injured in that game and, and a deal which they, they need to make. They want to sell this player. They want to raise the, the revenue uh, from that deal. Why they would do that? Well, I think it just gives you an indication of how important derby matches are in uh, in Portuguese football that um, that they will take this risk over it. 
um, financial terms, I'm told, agreed uh, between Bruno Fernandes and the club. And um, uh, the player's agent is saying that he fully expects that deal to go through and Bruno to be a Manchester United player. Excellent. Thank you for that, Duncan. Um, we're just hoping that, of course, the name Nico Gaetan doesn't come up at any point during this negotiation because um, we, we'd hate to be losing the Nico Gaetan ruse turning into the Bruno Fernandes ruse. Um, one thing I'm quite surprised about going back to um, Ed and his travel agents is that, uh, as far as I remember, Duncan, uh, Ed never travelled anywhere except on helicopter or private jet. I'm just wondering if the uh, bad news from Deloitte yesterday has forced him onto the train. That would be interesting if that were the case for sure. Um, so today's uh, <clears throat> we thank you for today's uh, questions uh, we hope you've uh, learned and indeed uh, gleaned information from uh, the answers that we have been talking about uh, of course it has been your questions answered as it is every Wednesday and there's no reason for you to wait uh, to put questions in for next week you can put them to um, our social media channels at any time and of course we're on uh, Twitter at Transfer Podcast, the same on Facebook and on Instagram. Duncan Castles is Duncan.Castles on Facebook, oh, sorry, on Instagram, I should say. And Twitter at Duncan Castles at GarboSG for me, as you all know. Now we're well into now the awards season, uh, and Hollywood has nothing uh, on the Donkey Awards, as you know, the Donkey Awards being the most prestigious in the world even though they apply only to football. And this week's uh, nomination has been inspired by the UK Prime Minister, Mr Boris Johnson, uh, who has, um, by claiming to be the leader of the people's government, has started his tenure um, in office by going to Scotland and effectively saying, we're the people's government, but what we're really saying is we're telling you people to get stuffed because we're not listening to you. So we're going to turn this into uh, an award for the People's Club so when the People's Club have claimed to be the People's Club, but well, actions or words have said they're telling the people to get stuffed. I'll just open the golden envelope here, Duncan. Thank you very much. There we go. And we have oh, three very, very interesting nominations for you to decide upon. Um, first of all, possibly uh, the People's Club of all People's Club. Uh, and that would be Liverpool FC, current runaway leaders in the Premier League, of course. But uh, made a bit of a public PR um, mistake when um, Fenway Sports Group, the club's owners, tried to trademark the city's name, Liverpool, not so long ago, inciting much furore uh, amongst the fans as well as the people of that great English city. Uh, the second nomination is uh, FC Barcelona, who, of course, as we mentioned, are owned by the people and allegedly run for the people. But uh, I, when they sold uh, the historic uh, Blaugrana Stripes, which had never had a sponsor on the front of the shirt to Qatar, uh, thus uh, effectively selling out the historic blood right of the people who own that club. And third, but certainly not last, the people's club that is Manchester United, whom, uh, of course, uh, claim to have the biggest following in world football, um, not just in terms of supporters, but in social media as well, who effectively stopped becoming the, the People's Club when the Glazer family took control and they became the Billionaires Club. Duncan, I leave it to you to decide from those three very worthy nominations. Uh, well, Fenway Sports Group definitely deserve a mention for that uh, attempt to trademark the name Liverpool. Um, fortunately, the Liverpool supporters um, told them 
uh, where to go. And uh, and you have to say Liverpool supporters have a history of this and that they, they told the previous um, American uh, wealthy owners of the club where to go and, uh, and got um, this change in ownership, which has effectively returned them to uh, the top of English football. So... Um, uh, I think they, they remain the people's club because the people still have that degree of influence there. Um, Barcelona, yes, uh, I think you, you, a great nomination. Um, selling out your shirt and not only selling out your shirt, selling it out to uh, Qatar um, was uh, one of the uh, worst episodes, I think, in, in Barcelona history and, and quite amusing that um, in the end, Qatar took revenge on uh Barcelona by stealing um, one of their uh, most uh, coveted players from them, forcing the, the transfer of Neymar um, a few years later. So be careful who you, you play with when you decide to sell your shirt to, uh, to nation states. Um, but I think this one has to go to Manchester United. Uh, they, as you say, um, hugely well-supported club, um, uh, but have been used, I think is the only way you can describe it, by the Glazer family to make a huge amount of money um, through that uh, engineered takeover in which very, very little cash ever came from the Glazer family and and subsequent to which over a billion pounds of Manchester United's money has gone out of the football club and into um, other people's pockets, uh, the majority of it going to the Glazers themselves. So I think they get this award for being the anti-people's club the anti-people's club well you gotta love that not just selling your shirt you sell your soul um maybe just a little uh one that tickles the imaginations of manchester united fans and i mean imaginations because i don't think it's going to be true perhaps ed was actually not going to Lille at all perhaps he's going to paris what would he be doing in paris who's there at psg that manchester united might want is it going to pull off the biggest transfer in the history of world football? Well, I'll let you go to sleep on that one tonight and dream because I think that's all it'll be. Um, this has been Wednesday's Transfer Window podcast. Your questions answered. As I said before, please continue the debate with us on our social media channels. You've got them all there before you. Where we know you love to get in touch, so please keep doing that. And... Uh, if you like what you hear, then please get log on to iTunes and give us a five-star review. And of course, this helps us to expand the community and keep things as fresh and as interesting as we possibly can for all of our listeners. This only leaves me to say we will be back on Friday and we shall see you through the transfer window then. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>